Welcome to the hashtag Fairing Pod. At Fairing, people come first. My name is Zoya Mabuto Mugoditra and I'm your host. And in this episode, we will be discussing Conception Nutrition 101, the foundation for starting a family. And of course, I am joined in the conversation by Sonia Malchik, a Canadian registered dietitian, uh, who's in private practice and specializes in fertility and pregnancy. A very warm welcome to you, Sonia. Thank you so much for making the time to join us. Thanks for having me. I'm so happy to be here. Wonderful. And maybe to kick the conversation off, let's start with you telling us a little about yourself and in particular, what it is that you do. What does your occupation entail? So as you mentioned, I am a Canadian registered dietitian. I completed my Bachelor of Science in Canada in 2010 in biopsychology, and then I came to UCT in 2016 to do my postgrad in dietetics. Um, I then went on to do my master's in nutrition as well, and basically started my career in nutrition research. But then I certified in prenatal and fertility nutrition, and I loved that. And mm. so it really inspired me to go into private practice. Sort of on the lighter side, I love anything and everything to do with food. <laughs> I love my Australian cattle dog. Um, yeah, I just, I love where we live. I think we're really lucky to live in the country that we do. Mm. And I'm, I'm really excited to share kind of part of my work journey with you today. So basically it's quite varied my, my day to day work life. Mm. Um, I'm still working in nutrition research at UCT. So I probably spend two out of five days of the week, uh, managing and consulting the nutrition components of several UCT-based uh, nutrition studies. They're all coincidentally related to a concept known as the first 1,000 days, which if you haven't heard of it before, it's the period of time from preconception all the way through pregnancy until children are two. Mm. And this is a really incredible window of time to kind of set those health foundations and what we eat during that time, nutrition during this first 1,000 days, has proven again and again in research to be really, really important. So I learned a lot of this through the different research projects that I'm involved in, and I've carried it into my private practice. And I think that's why I have such a passion for mm. fertility and pregnancy. So I spend quite a bit of time in academic work, but Private practice is probably what I love the most, mm. sharing nutrition information, all the things I've learned and making it practical for couples and women who are trying to conceive or who are pregnant is really, really what I love to do. Um, and basically, I work with couples while they're trying to conceive or if they're already pregnant and making sure that they're meeting their requirements and kind of optimizing their nutritional intake for the best possible start they can give to their babies. You know what's interesting? I'm a mother to, to three children, and those who listen to the podcast will know this. But I, I'm curious about, and, and we'll get to unpacking what we mean by conception nutrition shortly. I'm curious about when one would come to you in that journey, because I may have done something wrong, but I've never consulted dietitian or anything. And so I'm always sitting going, who comes to a registered dietitian if they are embarking on a journey to becoming parents? 
Who comes to you? Is that a, is that a strange question? No, it's a great question. <laughs> it's actually quite a new field in the sense that there's a lot of research coming out now and more and more is happening, you know, as we speak. So in the, in the space of fertility nutrition, it's not something that's been around for a long time. Uh. And people in South Africa, for sure, don't necessarily know that it can make such an impact. Uh-huh. So basically, you do want to come to see a dietitian if you have any existing health conditions, okay. um, especially reproductive health conditions, something like PCOS or endometriosis. So those clients I will see because already they know that they have a condition that will impact their ability or their chances of conception. Uh-huh. But in terms of the general population, everyone could benefit from consulting with a fertility dietitian because there's so many different things that will really help set up your health for pregnancy, but Mm. also line up the best possible start for baby as well. And so maybe let's unpack this, this, this concept, conception nutrition 101. That's what we said we're going to be discussing. Mm-hmm. Talk to us about what, what is this all about? And in particular, why is it crucial for women and couples who are planning to, you know, to start a family? Why is it important? Okay. So first and foremost, it's important to remember that sperm and eggs provide the genetic material for your unborn baby. So it's essential that these two cells are healthy. Mm. At the very beginning of sort of a journey that I take with a client, I always first look at any existing medical conditions. So things like um, high blood pressure, high cholesterol, also the reproductive health conditions that I've just mentioned, like PCOS mm. and mm. insulin resistance, diabetes, those types of things all have an impact on our hormones. So then we'll have a knock-on effect on our ability to conceive. So That's our first point of call. We look at any existing medical conditions that we need to address and maybe um, help achieve better outcomes for those symptoms, et cetera, and Mm. get those conditions managed before we dive into specifically fertility nutrition. Then we often look at just simple, basic tweaks to lifestyle. So this includes checking for through blood work and correcting potential nutrient deficiencies. And by that, I mean things like um, anemia or a vitamin B12 deficiency that we often see in vegans or vegetarians or a lot a lot of the population actually can struggle with a B12 deficiency. I check for those. We look at the dietary intake and then we supplement either through food or targeted mm. nutritional supplements to correct any deficiencies that the mom or dad may have going into this journey. Then um, we always look at things like alcohol intake and smoking because those have been seen to negatively impact Mm. fertility. And we look at weight, ensuring that you're in a healthy weight range. Underweight and overweight both have sort of negative consequences on Mm. our chances to conceive. Mm. So it's important that we make sure your, your weight is a healthy weight so that baby also has a good start. Um, and then simple things like physical activity and looking at some of the foods and lifestyle factors that we know aren't overly fertility friendly. So for example, excessive intake of uh, sugar-sweetened beverages, even the diet ones that mm. are artificially sweetened. We're seeing in research now that those artificial sweeteners, a lot of them aren't safe for mm. Pregnancy and 
they're not positive for a microbiome and they're just not a great thing for fertility in general. Maybe let me come in here at yeah. this point to say, I mean, it seems quite involved. Yes. Um, there's a lot involved. It feels like they, you, and, and I want to almost use the word holistic, that you're kind of looking at a variety of different uh, components or aspects um, you know, that relate to this couple who are wanting to have a baby, etc. I want to know what would be the right time then for either the lady, the woman, or the couple that's wanting to start a family to actually start seeking that advice from someone like you? Great question. And I'm so glad you asked because a lot of clients come to me, you know, immediately before they start an IVF cycle or you know, they're, they're already off birth control and they, mm. they're ready to start trying to conceive naturally yesterday. Mm. And ideally, what we like to see from a dietetic standpoint, so from a nutrition perspective, mm. I love to see clients a minimum of three months, ideally six months. So that's the window I give before either they start trying to conceive naturally or before they undergo an IVF cycle. And that's because um, the, the process of spermatogenesis is actually a 74-day cycle. So as sperm are maturing, this is when they are affected by diet and lifestyle. And it's the same thing with egg health in women. So mm. women are actually born mm. with all the eggs we're ever going to have, mm. but they mature over, again, a three-month process. And while that egg is maturing, that's when it's really sensitive to the diet and lifestyle factors. So if we can work together mm. before that three-month clock starts, that's when we can make the biggest impact. And I always say it's never too late to focus on your preconception nutrition mm -hmm. because ultimately – what we're doing also is preparing mom for pregnancy. Mm. So the nutrients that we're focusing on in fertility have to do with egg health or implantation mm. or sperm health, et cetera, but are also making sure that mom isn't nutritionally deplete. So she's, she's got a great store of these really important micronutrients mm. once she does fall pregnant. And that's part of the preconception side of things mm. is we're actually lining her up for from the moment she falls pregnant, she has all the sort of stores that she needs mm. to have a healthy start to her pregnancy. So, I mean, this is very interesting for me. And I'm going to ask what, what in my mind I perceive to be silly questions. So just bear with me. You mentioned a fancy term. I think you said spermogenesis. Spermatogenesis. Say it slowly. Spermatogenesis. Spermatogenesis. I'm assuming that this is where you're doing the work on, on the male in terms of his nutrition to ensure that his sperm is healthy. Exactly. So that's spermatogenesis correct. is when those sperm cells are maturing. Uh -huh. And that's when in, in those 74 days is when what you're putting into your body has an impact on the health of those sperm cells. Okay. So this is, this is where my question is going. So we have healthy sperm cells. We have healthy matured eggs. What, for what? Do we not get healthy, healthy kids? What, what is the impact of not having those healthy sperm cells? Maybe that's, that's how I should phrase the question. Great question. So basically what we've seen from research and from even historical events is, um, I'm, I'm, I'm going to give a very specific example, but there's something known as the Dutch famine study. And basically it was 
looking at children that were born to women during a period of famine mm-hmm. in Holland. And ultimately, these children that came from a single egg and a single sperm cell, mm-hmm. they weren't given the best possible start to life that I was talking about because their mothers hmm. weren't nutritionally um replete i suppose they weren't mm. they weren't they were malnourished mm. during pregnancy mm. and they followed these children to you know childhood adulthood and what they noted is that these children had higher incidences of diseases like obesity and diabetes and all these chronic diseases of lifestyle and they attribute it to the sort of negative start they had mm. or the challenging start they had mm. due to their mum's circumstances. And I think that's relevant and very important because sometimes you then have your child and they present with very interesting illnesses and things you can't explain. And oftentimes you're kind of going, where did this come from? And it could very well be possible based on your explanation that there is a link to did we through this process of having the correct nutrition, etc., create that potentially possible or best possible outcome or start for them. Absolutely. I like that. Mm. Okay. So so I then decide or, you know, whoever is listening um, decides that they'd like to go on this journey and they book some kind of consultation with you. What can they expect? And I think you start, you, you, I mean, you started to touch on this earlier around the different things that you're looking at, but they come to you for a consultation. Are there specific questionnaires and tests that are performed? What does that look like? So I, I think every dietitian probably does this a little bit differently, but the way that I do it is I, I actually, I get my clients to do a little bit of homework before I even see them. So I ask them to complete an intake questionnaire, which sounds pretty generic, but I get a lot of information from that, which supplements are on their medical history, mm-hmm. um, any family illnesses, like historically. Um, I ask some questions about their current caffeine intake and their sleep levels and stress levels, et cetera. Mm. Um, so I get a pretty good picture of where they're at. And as you mentioned, kind of a holistic picture um, from their intake form. Mm. The other thing I ask them to do is a three-day food journal. And they actually do it through my practice management software. And within that software, I can analyze their nutrient intake based on what they've input. Mm. So the course over the course of three days, it's not a perfect picture mm. of someone's nutrient intake, but typically I ask for one weekend day and two weekdays, and generally I get a pretty good idea of the basics, and I run an analysis. So I look at things like their macronutrient distribution, and mm. by that I mean protein, carbohydrates, and fat. Those are our macronutrients. And I want to see that those are kind of in the right ranges and we're mm. not having too much fat and not enough protein or too much carbohydrates and not enough fat. So that's the first thing I look at. Uh, then within the analysis, I can also look at their micronutrient intake. And by micronutrients, I mean basically vitamins and minerals. Mm. And this is where I sort of get a little bit nitty gritty because there's specific nutrients mm. or vitamins and minerals that are particularly important for fertility and for pregnancy. And I get an analysis through the software to see, okay, this this mom is meeting her requirements for iron, but she's nowhere near meeting her requirements for calcium. Mm. Um, and I bring in also if she's on any nutritional supplements. Mm-hmm. So a lot of, I think the education so far, a lot of 
couples or women will know that it's great to start a prenatal supplement while you're trying to conceive. Mm. So I do have a lot of clients that come in and they're already on a prenatal multivitamin, which is great. But not all prenatal multivitamins are suitable for each person. They all kind of have a different nutritional composition, if Mm. that makes sense. So, Mm. you know, one brand might really emphasize omega-3, but forget about calcium. And another brand might have a lot of iron, Mm. but not enough zinc. And what you want to do is you want to match the prenatal multi. To your specific needs. Exactly. So I see what they're having from their diet. I've done the analysis. I see which prenatal supplement they're on. Mm. And we see, okay, you know, maybe their diet, they're getting 500 milligrams from... Mm of calcium from their diet and they're getting 500 from their supplement. And there you go. They only need a thousand milligrams. So we can tick that box. Mm. They've met the requirements for calcium, but maybe we see that they're really not getting enough iron in their diet and their supplement doesn't include much. Mm. So that's when we would tweak and tailor their, either their diet or their supplement to meet those gaps. Mm. I, I, I'm going to come come back to to a question around um, you know couples who might be struggling um, to fall pregnant. We're going to come back to that because I think this is also important in respect of that particular conversation. But what I would like you to do is also to maybe just could I ask you to 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 delve a little bit deeper into what you've spoken about those um, key nutrients, those dietary habits. Um, what, what are those? Can you give us examples of what are some of the key nutrients and dietary habits that, uh, you know, are important for women or for the couple who are aiming to, to optimize their fertility, uh, or improve their chances of conception? So, so I'm, I'm curious about, about the couple who are saying we may have struggled a little bit. Um, and maybe there's something we can do in this area to improve those chances of falling pregnant? What are the specific things that they can do? Great question. It's also a big question. So it's huge. Bear with me. I, I might, I might dabble or, or linger on this question for a little while. Basically, there's different nutrients that are important for, for both the male and the female. Mm. So let's talk about the female first mm-hmm. and keep in mind that some of these nutrients are actually important. Like we talked about earlier, not only to help with conception, but also because they're so important for baby in the first trimester. So we mm. want to make sure that mom has enough stores of these nutrients going into pregnancy. So typically for women, I do when I do my micronutrient analysis, I look at just about everything, but I focus on a few. So I focus on a nutrient called choline, which isn't talked about enough in my opinion. I think it's like the next folate or folic acid. I think <laughs> most of us know that folic acid is really important or folate's really important mm. in early pregnancy. And mm. it's it's almost like a blanket supplement that most governments implement in mm. terms of what goes to mom. Mm. Choline, I, I feel, would be the next one. Um, North America already is including choline in their supplements. We're not quite there yet. Mm. But it's, it's really important in the first trimester, particularly, and really important for baby's neurodevelopment. Mm-hmm. So that's something I look at right away because I know it's not in a lot of prenatal supplements and we know it's really important or we've learned 
recently mm. that is really important. Bear with me. What is what does it do? So I it know folic is, re- is related to the brain. I think there's so something yeah, about assisting with the development of the brain. Folic acid exactly. that we know that's like the holy grail of like totally. So uh-huh, folic acid is important for closing the neural tube. Uh-huh. So that's that happens in the first trimester. Got it. Um, and choline is very similar. It's also important for neurodevelopment. Uh-huh. So the studies that we're seeing are showing sort of improved cognitive performance and so on. But okay. ultimately, it's part of the same process. Okay. And kind of works alongside. Folate. So choline is something I always look at in, I look at their dietary intake of choline um, when I'm chatting with my female clients. Iodine is another nutrient that's quite important. Iron, again, is something that we all sort of know about. I think that's, that's relatively common practice that mm-hmm. we know pregnant women are, have increased needs for iron, but it's always worth checking. Mm-hmm. Omega-3 is another one, really, really important for cognitive development, neurodevelopment. Mm-hmm. Um, vitamin B12, vitamin D, and zinc. So many of these are important for egg health, or they might help to naturally increase progesterone, which is a really important hormone during pregnancy, mm. or they've been shown to assist with increasing implantation rates. Mm. But as I mentioned, many of them are also just super important because in that first trimester of pregnancy, mm. we really need to make sure mom has these nutrients available to baby so baby mm. can use the nutrients it needs to close the neural tube, etc. cetera. Mm. And I think the important thing to remember is that most moms know or innately feel that, okay, pregnancy is a really important time to eat well. Mm. And a lot of women will naturally do that. But it can be a really difficult time to eat well. And if you're struggling with side effects like nausea or constipation or heartburn, which are also super common, mm. what you are able to eat isn't always, you know, maybe what you would really like to be eating. Mm. So I think what I like to kind of encourage the preconception clients is that what we're doing is we're building their stores, their nutrient stores, so that when they do fall pregnant, they have almost like a backstop if the first trimester is a disaster and they can only eat saltine crackers. Mm. They've got those nutrient stores. They've got almost like an insurance policy between Mm. the work we've done leading up to pregnancy and also the prenatal multi they're on. Okay, Mm. if you have a really bad day because you're really struggling to eat because you feel so awful, Mm. know that the work you've done going up to leading Mm. up to pregnancy and also the prenatal supplement you're on is sort of acting as like a insurance policy in a way. Hopefully you don't need it, Mm. but if you do, it's there. I mean, I like that approach because my follow-on question was also obviously going to be once a person falls pregnant, we know that this is accompanied with all kinds of interesting side effects. And so how does one manage that? So I love this idea that if we come to see you well ahead of time, that three to six months you spoke of earlier, then we're almost kind of just depositing into our little bank so that when we do, um, you know, start to experience the challenges of pregnancy, some people experience it really badly. Um, they're able to, you know, draw from somewhere. Exactly. And I think I like that approach. I think it, it's really comforting for a lot of people. I mm. think it's just nice to know, okay, I've done something that's, that's going to help and I can lean on that if I need to because pregnancy can be a really challenging time. Mm. And I think the other thing, one of the other things I absolutely love about my job is that it's a really beautiful time to make changes because mm. it's not just about 
mum. It's not just about the number on the scale or what your body looks like. It's really about, you know, this, this beautiful unborn babe that you haven't met yet. Mm. And so this, the sort of headspace that women are in is so receptive to making healthy changes. And I think my most, the most joy I get out of my job is when I work with someone through fertility and then we have the excitement of them falling pregnant. And then by the end of pregnancy, I feel like they have such a good understanding of nutrition and what an impact it can make. Yeah. And they've developed these habits and they've learned all these sort of mm. information that's empowered them to know what's good for them, what's good for baby, what's good for, you know, even their families. Mm. This information often trickles home because so often women are the ones, I mean, don't mean to stereotype, but often doing the grocery shopping, mm. doing the cooking at home. So mm. the information kind of spreads to the whole family. And that's always really, really heartwarming to see because I feel like it's making a knock-on effect, mm. not just on one person for this very specific window, but for their whole family kind of going forward as their family grows. Mm. I want to come back to the dietary habits. Okay. Um, because I think we may have touched on the key nutrients. Let's touch on male nutrients. So, you know, what are some of the dietary habits as well that, okay. that are particularly important, especially in light of what you've just said mm. around how for women in particular, they often are the caregivers in the homes, the shopping, etc. And there's opportunity to influence the nutrition of the whole family if we're adopting and implementing those uh, very good, uh, you know, uh, dietary habits, uh, you know, from, from the onset. Okay, great. Yeah, I think I don't like to leave the men out because I have have to say it's so wonderful when I do have male clients. It's mm. not that common. Mm. And I think society is to blame for that. We put all the onus on the female for not falling pregnant or for being healthy during pregnancy. And mm. actually, men provide 50% of the genetic material for this unborn baby. Mm. So focusing on male fertility and male nutrition is really, really important. And I'm always happy to see a male client pop up on my booking schedule. So again, as I mentioned, there's specific nutrients, just like there was for mm. women that are really important for sperm health and are particularly impactful during that 74-day cycle spermatogenesis. Mm. So there's some overlap, which mm -hmm. is nice because then when I see couples together, they can be focusing on things together. Mm -hmm. um, so folate is also important for men, as is iodine, iron, omega-3. So omega-3 is just an amazing nutrient that's basically anti-inflammatory, antioxidant, and is just doing a lot of great things, not only for fertility, but also for heart health and brain health and baby's hmm. neurodevelopment. It's really like a shining star in my books in hmm. terms of, of nutrients to include in your diet. Um, selenium is probably a lesser known nutrient, mm -hmm. but it's essential for mm. spermatogenesis. So it's, we really got to make sure men are meeting their requirements for selenium. Um, vitamin C and vitamin E also have been seen to be really, really impactful, um, for specifically sperm health. Mm. And then the last one is zinc. And that's because zinc is involved in sperm maturation. So those are the nutrients that I focus on in a, my first consult with the male partner and make sure they're meeting their requirements for those specific nutrients. And then on the other hand, in terms of male nutrition for preconception, mm. I also look at their intake of saturated fat and trans fat. Mm. So these two types of fat have been shown in research to 
to have a really negative impact on sperm health. So I make sure in the analysis that those are in check and we always talk about sources of those as well mm. so that while I'm teaching what they should include, I'm also teaching what to reduce in their diet. And so examples of saturated and, and trans fats would be what? So saturated fats typically come from animal-based products. Mm. So think things like the the fatty rind on your piece of bacon. Yeah. Or <laughs> pork or beef or skin on chicken is another very common course. Oh sorry, very common source mm. of saturated fat. It does exist in the plant world. So mm. for example, coconut oil and coconut milk and palm oil, those are high in saturated fat, but most typically it's in the sort of high fat animal products. Mm. Trans fats are typically in the commercially baked goods. So mm. think things like crackers and biscuits and pastries. Ah. Um, and there's a lot of regulations around trans fats. So most products now can only have a certain amount because we know they're so damaging. So it's, it's not often that I have clients that are over their limit for trans fat, mm. but it is something I consider or I I always speak about in case they are having a lot of those commercially baked mm. products or processed foods. That's where you find often trans fats. I mean, I'm loving this approach, by the way. I find it incredibly encouraging because typically what we, we see happen is I think pregnancy as a whole oftentimes is the, the burden and the responsibility of pregnancy oftentimes falls on the, on the woman. Absolutely. And what I'm hearing you say is that because there is this 50-50 a meeting of, mm -hmm. of, you know, the sperm cell and, and the egg, um, both have a responsibility to play to ensure, and again, to go back to what you said, that you're creating the best possible outcome for this child you're wanting to bring into the world. So mm. I'm loving that approach just as a general, you know, um. I think it's important to shift that narrative from just being the sole responsibility of, of the female partner and, and seeing that it's actually a shared role. Mm. So it is something that's, Preconception nutrition is, it really is about both partners. Love it, love it, love it. So let's move on to those dietary habits um, okay. and maybe just, you know, high level, nothing too intensive there. I do want to move on in the conversation, but give us examples of what are those habits uh, that are important for women or for the couple who are, you know, aiming to optimize that fertility process and obviously their chances of, you know, conception. Okay. So, I mean, let's, let's just sort of look at a big picture. Basically, to meet your nutritional requirements, mm. the best thing to do actually is to have a very varied diet. Mm. So if you eat the same things all the time, it's very – even if they're, you know, quote-unquote healthy superfoods, mm. you're not likely to meet your requirements for everything because your your intake is limited. So you want to have a really, really varied diet. Mm. So different grains and cereals, a combination of low-starch vegetables and and starchy vegetables, fruit, dairy or dairy alternatives – healthy proteins, healthy fats. You want a nice balance of that mm. to make sure that you are meeting your requirements for all these different macronutrients, so the protein, fat, and carbohydrates, mm. and micronutrients, so vitamins and minerals. So big picture, you just want a balanced and varied mm. diet. Um, then in terms of honing in on specifically fertility, mm. there are a few things that um, – I really encourage. So, for mm -hmm. example, we're chatting about omega-3 fatty acids, and mm -hmm. that we can get if we 
simply consume fish two to three times a week. Mm. We meet our, we meet our requirements for omega-3 fatty acids. Mm. Practically speaking, this isn't something that a lot of us do. So if it's not something you can achieve from, from a sort of practical perspective, then that's when we may look to supplementation. Not mm. everyone likes fish. Not everyone wants to have fish that often. Mm. So omega-3 fats, if you're not able to have it on your plate two or three times a week, then that's when we may lean on a targeted supplement. Mm. Um, then again, so now we've chatted a little bit about the specific micronutrients. So we chatted about choline mm. and, and how I think it's really a hero nutrient. <laughs> um, eggs are an incredible source of... Choline? Choline, yeah. Oh. Specifically the yolk. So egg white omelets, you're really missing out on the wonderful choline benefits. That's so, because they've told us, stay away from the yellow part of the egg. Yes, no, eggs have, <laughs> eggs have had this like hilarious history of like, they're good, they're bad, they're good, no, they're bad again, they're good again. And now they're gone in South Africa. Yeah, oh, I know, that's, that's also really challenging. <laughs> but, but from a fertility perspective, eggs are amazing, especially the yolk, mm. um, and that'll help you meet your choline requirements because they're really rich in choline. Um, I also really encourage plant-based proteins mm. weekly. So again, in the South African context, that can be challenging because we're a culture that really enjoys meat. So, you know, the simple, silly sort of uh, catchphrase, meatless Monday, <laughs> I really, really try and encourage just mm. because there's so many amazing micronutrients mm. and polyphenols and antioxidants and fiber mm. in these plant-based meals um, that – We've just got to get mm. the general population on board with. So are we talking about beans and the like here? So things exactly. like beans and what lentils are some of these things? Lentils, soybeans. Soy okay. Exactly. Because you can get plant-based proteins mm. that will help you meet your protein requirements from plants. You don't have to get it from meat. Mm. So I encourage including those plant-based proteins. Weekly, mm. if possible. Nuts and seeds are also an incredible source of fiber and healthy fats. So that's something else I really encourage. This is a bit of an aside, but as you get into pregnancy, it's also a brilliant thing to include because it's a gentle introduction to the fetus mm. to these potential allergens. Mm. So what we're seeing now is that having peanuts regularly in pregnancy or tree nuts, so like cashews and almonds, et cetera, if mom eats those, specifically when baby's immune system is developing, so usually mm. in the second trimester, it's a gentle introduction to baby of these, you know, quote unquote, scary potential allergens. And then it's also important to include those foods in breastfeeding mm. because when baby does sort of encounter these scary foods for the first time, mm. it's had a gentle introduction already and the the incidence of allergies is less. So that's more a pregnancy thing, but nuts and seeds are great to include in fertility as well. Hmm. Um, the other one that kind of has come as a surprise in the literature, like mm -hmm. in the research, mm -hmm. is full-fat dairy. So that full-fat dairy has actually been seen to be really positive in the context of fertility. So typically, we were talking about saturated fats, and full-fat dairy would be a source of saturated fat, but we're seeing that infertility, we don't worry about the saturated fat of full-fat dairy. And we're, we're seeing there's benefits to using full-fat dairy during fertility. So that's something I also encourage, which is usually quite a 
to quite the delight of clients because full-fat dairy is obviously delicious and hmm. switching to low-fat can be really challenging. I mean, I'm thinking about how it, it could even come across as like, a, what do you call those tales? An old, what is it? An old, old wives, wives' tale. tale. And I'll tell you why. Because within the South African context, I think a full-fat dairy might be something like, you know, ingomazi, mass. Yeah, amasi, yeah. Amas. Yeah. Is amasi a full-fat dairy? Yes. Uh-huh. Typically, yeah. And so he- here's where I'm making the linkage to some of the cultural connotations of this as well. So when one falls pregnant or just before they fall pregnant from an African culture perspective, one is encouraged to eat a lot of amasi. Amazing. It's encouraged to, you know, eat amasi as part of that process. So I'm making linkages between what you're saying and what would typically be considered kind of old wives tales and, and does it really have relevance? So no, totally. Say that. No, and I mean, even just, even just knowing that amasi is a great source of, of, if it's, if it's homemade, it's not commercially made, it's a great source of probiotics. Yes. And that is influencing mum's gut health, mm. which is influencing her health and therefore baby's health. So, you know, it's similar to maybe yogurt. Maybe mm. you don't have amasi, but you enjoy yogurt. Mm. Those probiotics are influencing mum's health and then have an impact on baby's health. So, yeah, great example. Yeah. So thanks. I mean, you've, you've given us um, quite, a, quite an extensive list of things to think about in terms of those dietary habits. I want to know, are there restrictions? Are there specific dietary restrictions that, that you're asking women or the couple, uh, you know, to consider um, in terms of that, uh, you know, conception-focused nutrition plan? Definitely. So not so much. I don't really like to use the word restrictions because I think because I love eating so much, I really, I really struggle to tell clients like this is a, this don't is, eat this. this is off limits completely. Um, so I think it's just about making sure you're consuming things in moderation. So uh-huh. we've talked about saturated fats. Mm. We've talked about trans fats. Those are really important. Um, we briefly touched on the sugar sweetened beverages. And by that, I mean like the Coca-Colas and the Sprites and the, and the, you know, the, the cordials and so on. Um, even the diet version of a lot of these products use artificial sweeteners. And we're seeing that artificial sweeteners aren't really baby building materials. Mm. So I try and steer clients away from specific sugar sweetened beverages just because it's so, it's so quick and easy to drink. You know, 500 milliliters of, of some soda, mm. um, and get eight or nine teaspoons of sugar in that one bottle. And what we know from sort of the World Health Organization or general guidelines is we only want to be having between four to six teaspoons of added sugar a day. Mm. And so if you're getting nine teaspoons in one bottle of whatever soda, mm. then think about, okay, maybe you also add it to your tea. Maybe you had a biscuit with that tea. Maybe, you know, there was another dessert that you enjoyed mm. that day. It's a lot of sugar. Mm. And basically, this is a total a story for another day, but ultimately our blood glucose levels, so what we eat that mm. that really impacts or spikes our blood glucose impacts the hormone in our body called insulin Mm. and can lead to things like diabetes and insulin resistance. And again, a conversation for another day. Mm. But what's important to know is that our hormone system, our endocrine system is all interconnected. So having your hormone insulin out of whack has an impact on your fertility hormones. Mm. So actually maintaining a stable blood sugar balance is really important for fertility. 
I mean, just listening to you, I, I mean, I know that uh, the focus of our conversation is, is obviously on, on conception and, and fertility and pregnancy, but I think so much of it has re- relevance. I think for all of us, um, these are things that we're all needing to be mindful of, uh, really aware of. And I think, again, this is because I'm sitting at that ripe age where um, the, the hormones effect is real. And I'm having to look quite seriously at what am I taking in? Uh, what's in my diet and becoming so acutely aware of the impact of what I eat on the functioning of everything else. And so I think it's such a, it's a pertinent conversation, not just for, for pregnancy, but I think for everyone in general. Um, so, so I'm enjoying the conversation is, is, is what I'm trying to I'm say. I'm so glad. No, it's it definitely, I totally agree. I feel like it's information that we should all have. It should be, you know, it's how our body works. Mm. It's, I found it so challenging in my internship year mm. in Cape Town to, you know, consult with clients who had had diabetes for 12 years, had had a leg amputated, were on medication, but actually had no idea what a carbohydrate was and didn't realize that sugar was impacting their their health status. Mm. And that to me is just, it's just, it's so unfair and it's so sad mm. that it's not common information. So it's something that I feel should be, and it's, I think why mm. I love working in private practice because I have this chance to share the information that I think we all should deserve access to. Mm. And not wait for Netflix to release like that. I mean, there was a big documentary on Netflix about sugar. I don't know if you ever, but oh, there's you lots know, on Netflix, yeah. and, I, and I think that's when we became aware as a family. My husband watched this thing and said, Oh my word, you have to come and see. And that certainly had an impact in terms of how we were consuming sugar in the family. Mm. Let's, let's go to the challenges that individuals typically face when trying to implement that conception focused nutrition plan. Because here's the thing. I think it's one thing to have the information. So you're a little bit more enlightened, but the reality is that we lead these fast paced lives. The reality is that we have on the go uh, meals and all those kinds of things, you know, literally like it's available to us more readily than kind of the healthier options. And so what are some of the challenges that are presented to you when you're doing this work with individuals who are using a, a, a conception focused nutrition plan? And how do we overcome some of these? It's another great question. I think you've already touched on one of the biggest challenges is, is that the things that are available mm. and the things that, you know, are affordable are often not those that are best for us. Um, and I think the prevalence of fast food and all the, the sugar sweetened beverages and so on is, is just, it's rife. There's just, it's available everywhere mm. and we don't have this education. So, It can be a challenge. It's also, I think, important to remember that as an adult, it's really hard to shift our habits. It's it's not something we want to do. And again, I think in the context of fertility and pregnancy, Mm. I feel really lucky to work in this particular space because individuals are more open to it because it's not just about them or the Mm. number on the scale or what their body looks like. It's about this beautiful unborn baby. So that really helps. Mm. And I think the other thing that really helps me to sort of get through to clients is I, sh- I share, we, we always have very targeted review consults. So I, I mentioned I start with an assessment and I look at them from a sort of a big picture. Mm. And then based on what we pull out of that assessment, mm. then we build a program that will make the best or biggest impact for them. So for example, if I have a client preparing for IVF, but she's using donor eggs, 
We're not going to spend a review consult talking about boosting egg health because she's using donor eggs. So mm. we might look rather at her husband's sperm health because that will be the, the sperm used in the IVF cycle. And we'll look at things like nutrients that could impact um, implantation or nutrients that can impact progesterone levels because she'll be carrying baby. But we really tailor mm. the consults, the the rem- the review consults to what she needs. And I think that also helps because it becomes really relevant. Mm. It becomes like, okay, this, this makes sense. And I can see why it's important for me. Mm. Um, and then I think the other thing to think about is I've touched a little bit on nutritional supplements. And again, I have to emphasize that I was trained and I really believe in a food first approach. Mm. And by that, I mean, I really think that for the average healthy person, we should be able to get most of what we need from the food that we put on our plates. Mm. If we're eating it in a balanced way and, you know, if there's no nutritional deficiencies or specific um, health issues that we're dealing with that mm. require a targeted nutrient like anemia, you're going to need a little bit of additional oral iron from, mm. from a supplement. But Food first is really the approach I always try and take, even though in the context of pregnancy and fertility, supplements seem to really, really be an important part of the journey. I think it's, again, it's going back to that insurance policy. It's that during this window of time, mm. the consequences of not having those specific nutrients can be so dire. So for example, not having enough folate in your diet Mm. and you're not on a folic acid supplement and then you fall pregnant, but the neural tube doesn't close. So you miscarry. Mm. Do you see what I mean? The consequences are just a little bit heavier. Mm. So in the space of pregnancy and fertility, I do lean on supplements with clients. And I think that also can be a challenge for some. So not only is it a financial challenge, change Mm. because, you know, supplements obviously add up in terms of cost. Mm. It's also a lifestyle shift. So not everyone likes swallowing a pill. Not everyone wants to take a, a, you know, a handful of different pills in the morning or evening or doesn't Mm. like the fishy burp that you sometimes get from taking an omega-3 supplement. (laughs) I know it well. (laughs) So, So that can be a challenge. But as I said, generally I find that this particular time of life, Mm. because of what the intention is Mm. and because it's the, the end goal is slightly outside of the individual, it's, it's a bigger picture. Mm. I find that clients are usually genuinely interested and genuinely motivated to make these changes and it's, it's actually such a beautiful thing to see. And, and then what happens is the knowledge that I can share with them mm. is for the most part, I think, empowering and mm. not like overwhelming mm. and a to-do list. Mm. So, I mean, there definitely are challenges. The biggest thing is habit change is hard, especially as an adult. But the mindset is really important. And this particular space, fertility and pregnancy, it's like a psychologically, it's a great time to kind of hone in on those healthy habits because mm. your brain's just looking at a bigger picture. 
And I think I want us to build on that. I mean, I love what you've just said about how particularly with, um, you know, uh, pregnancy or fertility related cases, um, the tendency is to, to be a bit more willing to make those changes because the picture is often so much bigger than just yourself. Um, I want to build on that. So we've spoken to the nutritional aspect. I want to know what other aspects, if we're looking at this from a holistic approach, um, and I'm talking here things like lifestyle, stress management, etc. But what else um, should this woman or this couple consider um, to optimize their fertility and their chances of conception? We're opening it up now to say from a broader perspective. I think that's a great thing to bring up because it's it's quite important. As you mentioned, it's a holistic approach. Mm. So um, I'm sure you've heard the saying, you are what you eat. Mm-hmm. There's another one that is you are what you absorb. Mm. So you can eat all the healthy things in the world. But mm-hmm. if you're eating too quickly and you have ulcerative colitis and you are – you know, struggling with stress and not sleeping, your body's not going to have the ability to absorb all those amazing nutrients. So it's actually really important that kind of everything is in check for your body to be able to do what it can or what it wants to do with the amazing diet you're having. Hmm. So for example, something as simple as sleep. If you're not getting enough sleep, your body's really going to struggle to function. And absorb the nutrients from this amazing diet that you've got from your friendly fertility dietitian. Mm. There's some basics that kind of have to be working for your body to be able to use these foods and nutrients to the best of its ability. Mm. Um, so sleep is something I always touch on in, in my nutrition assessment. So the first initial consult, just because that's quite important to get in check. We also have seen that, um, Again, this is a bit of an aside, but melatonin, which is helps us with our circadian rhythm, so helps us with sleep, is also important for fertility. So it's all interconnected and basic. And one would take the melatonin, sorry, in what? In supplement form? You can. Um, yeah. So it's not, I mean, ideally your body produces it and uh-huh. you don't need it. So, so it, often it's used for example, when you are traveling and you're trying to get over jet lag, you take the supplemental form um, to help your body get back into its sleeping rhythm. Uh-huh. Um, in the fertility space, it's u- it's being used sometimes for as a sort of bonus supplement mm-hmm. to help with fertility, particularly if the couple or the, the, the client is struggling with sleep. But basically, you just want to be all aspects of your health kind of need to be lined up. So mm. we were chatting earlier about the the chronic medical conditions that maybe you're struggling with mm. as a baseline. So mm. maybe you're struggling with Crohn's disease. Mm. Again, your body's not going to be able to absorb nutrients the same way. Mm. So often with those clients, we need to make sure that we get their Crohn's disease sort of mm. under control mm. as much as we can. We're not in a flare-up. Mm. And then we start working on targeted nutrients. But often a client with Crohn's or ulcerative colitis or uh, even celiac disease sometimes need a higher dose of those nutritional supplements we were talking about just to Mm. make sure their body is getting what it needs because it's not absorbing to the same efficiency as other 
healthier individuals, if mm. that makes sense. I mean, I'm appreciating, again, you know, the, the approach that you use, which is to really understand what the specific needs of the particular person are so that whatever you recommend, whatever nutrition plan you put in place is tailored to meet the individual in respect of their needs. And I think that's a, that's a critically important part because I think, you know, for, for the couple who are trying to fall pregnant or the couple who have fallen pregnant, often it is just kind of going to what has been done by everyone and then almost being surprised sometimes if things don't quite go according to what we'd expected because this is what everybody else does. Mm. And what I'm hearing you say is that part of the value in coming to someone like you is really understanding what my particular needs are and being equipped with the tools to be able to ensure that one, I'm in the best possible health as you know possible to ensure that best possible outcome for this child we want to bring into the world. Exactly. No, I, I, my feeling is if you don't individualize the approach, mm. it's not that there's no point. Like, you know, I do have fertility nutrition checklists, for example, on my website that mm. is sort of the, the general, uh, you know, tick boxes that you want to make. But at the end of the day, even something as simple as choosing which prenatal multivitamin mom should be on mm. is quite hard to choose the right one. Do I choose the one that's the most expensive? Do I choose the one that has the prettiest box? Do I choose the one that my friend is on? <laughs> you know, it's hard to choose because they all have a different nutrient profile. Mm. And if I'm a vegan, I really need to make sure that there's mm. B12 in there and that there's, you know, an algae-based omega-3. If I'm a pescatarian, I'm not going to worry too much about the omegas mm. because I'm probably getting enough of that in my diet. So you see, it's it's quite an individualized approach. You know, I mm. often have people tell me like, oh, which is the best supplement? I, I can't tell you that without <laughs> knowing quite a bit more info about what you're currently getting from your, your current diet, mm. any other health conditions you may be struggling with, any allergies, etc. Mm. So it's not a blanket solution most of the time. Um, and obviously, I'm, I've worked in research and I'm, I'm really honing in on the nitty gritty, but mm. it makes such an impact. So mm. it makes sense that my job is to learn about the client and see what it is they need and what support and guidance would help them the most. And you're so spot on. Uh, Sonia, when, when you talk about kind of, is it, is it the box that's prettiest on the shelf? Um, and I was giggling away quietly here because I was thinking, yes, I can actually almost see the colors of the one I was drawn to. Exactly. It had nothing to do with whether it was truly good for me or not. It just looked the brightest on the shelf. Um, I, I may know exactly which one you're they, talking about. I'm telling you. Um, and I thought, oh, well, this one looks really lovely. It's, it's not as dull as, you know, in comparison to the, to the one next to it. And so I took that on the basis that it just was more appealing because of how it looked and not not having considered at all whether this was fit for what I needed on my journey. No, that aisle, I mean, in any of, <laughs> any of the pharmacies is overwhelming to say the very least. I want to move to a different component. And really for me, this is thinking about the fact that we, we have such advancements in technology. Uh, we're living in a very sort of high tech world. Um, when it was introduced earlier, we didn't know what this information age was all about. Um, and, and, and the reality is that we also have multiple digital platforms or these apps, um, that are available. Is there anything that, that you would recommend in terms of just leveraging some of what's 
available from a technology point of view uh, to assist the parent or the parents of the you know of who are trying to have have this child in in monitoring and managing um, their nutrition for better conception outcomes. So that's a great question, and it's it's almost similar to the question about supplements. I mean, the market of apps is full of all these different approaches or different tools that we can use. Um, and I think one thing I'm very mindful of is mm. that it can very quickly become a trigger for almost a bit of disordered eating if mm. if you get too involved and you're tracking every single item of food that you're putting on your plate. Um, so tools like what I have through my practice management software are also, you know, available to the public in terms of different apps. The tricky thing is the practicalities and the sustainability of constantly mm. every day mm. tracking your input and making sure you're meeting your requirements. Isn't that practical? Mm. Um, from my perspective, some people love it and some people really get a lot of joy and satisfaction from it. And that's great. Mm. And I think if you know what you should, what your targets are, mm -hmm. then it can be a really valuable tool. Um, I kind of, would more lean towards the the apps that are a little bit more practical. So, you know, there's there's apps, for example, once you fall pregnant or if, even if you're trying to conceive that mm. just suggest actually different foods. So mm. instead of saying, um, make sure you're getting 600 micrograms of folic acid, they give you examples of try and include at least two sources mm. of the following folate-rich foods every day. Mm. And that's the kind of information that I think is more practical. Mm. And those those are the apps that I think can be a little bit more sustainable in terms of mm. not always getting lost in the numbers and getting lost in the, the admin, mm. really, if we're honest, of mm. tracking all these things. Because mm. that can, that can um, become a bit much. And I think the other aspect that, again, we don't have time to touch on in this, mm. in this chat, but mm. is the, the – sort of mental health difficulties that come in, in a lot of conception journeys. Mm. So if, if you're really wanting to start a family and it's not happening mm. as quickly as you'd like it to, mm. can be really challenging mentally. And sometimes I find food and nutrition is an amazing place to put your energy. Mm. And other times I find for some clients that actually they just can't take on any more, mm. you know, to-do lists. Mm. And so – we do very, very basic adjustments to their diet. But but you're not altogether against the idea of an app. And I think no, oftentimes when, when we're engaging with people like yourselves around, you know, can one go to an app? I think it's more from the perspective of the credibility. Mm. So can I go to an app and trust that what they're telling me could potentially work for me? Um and I'll be honest, let me, let me tell you where this is coming from. Um, I recently, uh, bought into one of those apps. Okay. Um, and I was shocked at the extent to which they did similar to, to your process, um, quite a detailed, um, assessment where to input information, et cetera. And then were able to customize, um, a plan of sorts for me. Yeah. Um, and really break it down into the specifics of you need to eat more green foods, Zoya. Yeah. Um, as an example. And so I think the question really is around, are these apps credible? They're coming to us fast and furious. And Absolutely. if you're somebody who's desperate for something to happen, is that an avenue a person should lean towards? And, and can we trust that what they're putting out there is fit for purpose? So great question. And if, if, I, if I can be fully transparent, 
I obviously don't, I haven't trialed many of these apps myself. Okay. Which so is I, fair. I, I just, it's not really my approach. So when I see a client, I sort of teach them. I don't, I don't put them onto an app. Mm. Um, I do, I'm aware of a lot of them because clients come to me and they're using them mm. or I've heard about them and it's just good for me to know. So I, I've dabbled in a few. I think one thing that I'm quite cautious of is, um, Labeling foods as good or bad mm-hmm. and then putting this like morality on your food choices. That for me isn't my favorite approach. Mm. So again, I think I'm coming at it from a, the lens of a healthcare professional that is very aware of the dangers of disordered eating mm. and fear mongering. I don't, I mean, I'm not scared of any foods. I will eat <laughs> anything. <laughs> Um, and I think, I think that's important. I don't want to create any fear in, in clients or in individuals and have a system where you've got green foods that are good and orange foods that are not good and red foods that are avoid. And I mean, yes, okay, there's, there's some knowledge in that, mm. in that the, the red foods perhaps we should be having less often, mm. but you've got to take everything with a little bit of a mm. pinch of salt. Excuse the food pun. I love that pun, by the way. So, so as a dietitian, just, just, just help me a little bit here then. So, so we're saying perhaps let's just park the, the apps for, for now mm-hmm. because your approach is to say we love all food. Um, and it really does go back to what you mentioned earlier about, about that diet that's balanced, about that diet that's varied as well. I think you said it's got to mm-hmm. be varied. It's got to be balanced. Um, I, I want, I want you to assist us in terms of, so what are the other reputable sources that we could then, you know, go to? Um, if we're wanting to, I, I suppose, turn to, to a place that offers us reliable information, where else could I go then to seek some of this information that you've just shared with us today? Okay. So, so one thing that we almost can touch on in the same conversation as apps is, is having regular blood work done. So knowing, you know, if you have any nutrient deficiencies, is really helpful. Hmm. Um, and that's something that you can have done at your path care lab or your Lancet lab. And it's basically just knowing, okay, my vitamin D levels aren't optimum or <clears throat> my iron levels are too low or too high. It's, it's very rare, but your iron, you can have something called iron overload uh, or hemochromatosis, which is also not a great thing. So basically regular blood work is really helpful. And again, it's something that I always review with clients. And what does regular mean? Sorry. In the context of fertility and pregnancy, so typically when I see a client for the first time, I, I if they haven't already, I ask them to go for mm. a panel of blood tests. And I'm just checking basic things like thyroid function, iron studies, fasting lipids, um, their B12 levels, vitamin D levels. There's a few nutrients I look at. Mm. Um, and then in pregnancy, it's quite important to monitor your blood work throughout because as you go through pregnancy, your requirements change. So for mm. example... In the first trimester, your iron requirements actually drop a little bit Hmm. because we stop menstruating. So we don't need as much iron. As baby grows and your blood volume increases, so let's say we're now into our second trimester, Hmm. that's when your iron requirements start climbing a little bit. And by the time you're in your third trimester, your blood volume is a lot bigger Hmm. and baby is taking a lot of iron to store for when they come out into the world. So your requirements jump quite quite dramatically, and often we see a drop in mom's iron levels. And this is where 
targeted supplements are important. So whether that be an oral supplement or a lot of women will, their drop will be so dramatic, they'll actually need to go for an iron infusion. So in pregnancy, regular means like mm. every trimester. Mm. Um, in the context of health, um, I, I think it's important just as a general sort of baseline to know, you know, you know how you maybe go for an annual checkup or an annual physical. It's mm -hmm. something nice to check then. Typically these things kind of, you see a pattern. So if you're prone to anemia, mm -hmm. that's something that you should keep tabs on. Um, but yeah, infertility, I like to do it when I first meet the couple um, and then in pregnancy quite regularly. But this is something that your healthcare team will also be hopefully keeping tabs on. Okay. In terms of, because you did ask about like reliable information. So in South Africa, there's a really incredible group called Fertility Solutions South mm -hmm. Africa. And basically it's like a fertility hub with clinics and dietitians and online resources and blogs and events and support groups and so on. Mm -hmm. And they're a really, really wonderful resource that shares valuable information in a newsletter and also um, great blog posts and they have events all over South Africa. So I would really recommend following them and sort of being comfortable with them if you're in the South African space. Okay. On an international level, um, so I'm part of a group called the Early Life Nutrition Alliance. And basically, we're a group of registered dietitians that specialize in pregnancy and fertility. Mm -hmm. And we have a really, um, I mean, it's coming from like a major dork, but it's a, <laughs> it's a really cool um, <laughs> uh, journal club. And, and all it means is that you, you subscribe to it. Mm. And once a week in your inbox, you get three research articles, just sort of a recap of, this is a recent research on dietary patterns and IVF outcomes. Here's a quick synopsis of hmm. what we learned in research this week. So it's just a really nice, um, I suppose, weekly email mm -hmm. to keep abreast of research without having to really understand the jargon of scientific research papers and without having to do any digging yourself because the Early Life Nutrition Alliance does it for you and sends it to your inbox. So that's another one. If you're interested in research, mm. instead of following all these different academic journals, mm -hmm. rather subscribe to that. Okay. I mean, I love, I love that last point because I want to, I want to just latch onto it a little bit and find out from you if you can share any sort of emerging trends or, or upcoming research areas in this field. Um, you know, and particularly ones that you're, you know, our audience, I think could, could benefit from knowing about what, what should they be on the lookout for in terms of some of the research in this area? So there's a, there's a couple that I'm quite interested in and I think we've, we sort of touched on them already, but mm -hmm. just to highlight them. So I think sperm health for me is really interesting because I think it's really, it's really important that we, we bring the male partner into the conversation and we are learning more about it. So that's something that I'm definitely keeping my eye on. Um, <laughs> the other thing that I find super fascinating and I think it's one of the reasons why I kind of fell into pregnancy and fertility is this allergy prevention um, concept. Wow. And we don't have any research as far as I know in terms of preventing allergies from fertility. I mean, there are some nutrients that help the immune system and that could play into it. 
but it's specifically what mom eats when baby's in utero and what mom eats during breastfeeding and how that impacts the prevalence of allergies in her child. So that's that would be groundbreaking. It well, it really it, think about it. It makes a lot of sense. <laughs> yes, right? like it. It and if you think about different cultures. So, for example, and, and this is anecdotal, but I don't think there's a lot of peanut allergies in Thailand, for example, because moms are eating that regularly, mm. right? So we're seeing peanut allergies, and we're seeing you know wheat allergies and dairy allergies and all these different allergies. A lot of the time, honestly, we're seeing them in first world countries. Mm. And my personal opinion is that it's because the food that maybe is available or that is being eaten the most is not real food. It's Mm. it's a lot of processed foods. Mm. So allergy prevention is something that I'm really interested in. I think mostly because it's just, it would just be so challenging to have an allergy yourself, let alone your child. Imagine having a child with a peanut allergy and being scared to send them to school in case the little boy or girl next to her in the cloakroom mm. has a peanut butter sandwich. Mm. You know, it's just the allergy prevention is really interesting for me. And I think it's something we're learning more about. And again, it's shifting a little bit. We're like what we used to, we used to avoid all potential allergens, especially during, um, especially during pregnancy. Mm, exactly. Mm. That was the, that was the advice, <laughs> but we flipped that on its head and what mm. we're seeing is the opposite. So mm. that's something I'm really interested in. And then I maybe would, one more, one more. Okay. <laughs> sorry. <laughs> you know, I can, I can rattle on phrases. <laughs> I think probably the other thing, and again, this is just a space I'm working in. I'm really interested in IVF outcomes. Mm. So individual foods or nutrients is interesting, but what's more interesting to me is dietary patterns because we don't eat just one thing. We have some sort of pattern that we follow, whether that be a Mediterranean sort of pattern or Western diet sort of pattern. There's different kind of foods that we eat together, Mm -hmm. not just salmon or almonds. We eat in a a more comprehensive way than just single foods or single nutrients. Mm. So although it's interesting, these single food and nutrient studies, I'm really interested in which patterns, so which styles of eating Mm -hmm. are most beneficial for Fertility oh. outcomes, specifically IVF. For determining the outcomes. Exactly. So for positive outcomes. For somebody out- so who, who goes the IVF route. Exactly. And for positive outcomes. Exactly. So something like the Mediterranean diet. I don't know if you've heard of that style of eating. Mm. Basically a huge emphasis on um, some plant foods, mm. omega-3s, like fish and mm. whole grains and extra virgin olive oil. A lot of anti-inflammatory nutrients in there. A lot of fiber in there. That's that particular pattern mm. has been seen to be really beneficial in fertility. And that's something that I'm keeping a, an eye on because it's nice to be able to sort of share an approach to eating rather than like individual foods that they must add in. Sure. I mean, this has been really fascinating for me. And I just I want to, to, to really thank you. I think it's, it's, it's the beginnings of a very detailed, intensive, broad uh, topic. But I think what you've done today is, is, is just to, you've introduced it to us. I think you've introduced it to us. You've introduced the importance 
of conception nutrition. I love a couple of things you've said. I love that the focus or the narrative shifts from this responsibility purely on the woman and that we're now for the first time starting to see, you know, that, that both parties have a role to play. I love conversations around the importance of that balanced and varied diet. And I think it has relevance for every one of us. Mm. Um, and of course, very interested in some of this upcoming research and things to look out for. I really think it's been a wonderful conversation. So let me thank you very, very much. Mm-hmm. Um, and I hope that we can both Build on some of the, you know, very critical conversations we've started, you know, engaging on today. But yeah, once more, thank you so much to you, uh, Sonia Malchik, registered dietitian, who also is a researcher and who specializes in fertility and pregnancy. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for having me. I've loved our chat today. Wonderful. Thank you for listening to the hashtag Fairing Pod. Join the conversation by following us on social media. We are on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube under Fairing South Africa. Have you been diagnosed with IBD? Download the Fairing IBD Health Diary app today. The Fairing IBD Health Diary app is available on the Apple App Store and the Android Google Play Store.